Hello and welcome back to Running the Table, a podcast all about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. If you would like to ask a question to me or to any of my guests, please email them to rttpodcast at gmail.com or send them to Running the Table on either Twitter or Facebook. As always, I'm your host, Keith, and today we will be joined by Connor, the current keeper and GM of the podcast Experience and Gold. Hello, Connor. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I actually am also on Experience in Gold. Yep. So we know each other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've, been, we've been friends for years. Yeah, we've known each other uh, since college. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's when we started playing together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well... For those of our listeners who don't know you as well as I do, mm -hmm. how about you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I am Connor. As Keith already mentioned, I'm the current GM for our season 1.5 of uh, Experience in Gold. Um, it's a tabletop role-playing game podcast. We started off with a big 5th edition campaign, and we're now doing a Monster of the Week game. Um, that's been very fun. Uh I've been playing role-playing games since high school. I started in my... I, it was either sophomore or junior year. I don't remember exactly. Um, mm -hmm. But a group of friends of I, we played 3.5, uh, which I will, I, not, I will not go back to. I can't. Yeah. I'm not strong enough. Um, I also got my start on 3.5, as I've discussed on the podcast before, and it can be brutal. Oh, God, yeah. I don't... I. I can't go back to that. Um, nowadays, I mostly play in GM 5th edition. Uh, I've also dabbled in GMing a lot of uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games, um, some Starfinder, 4th uh, edition D&D, um, just a lot of stuff. And on Experience in Gold, you're currently the keeper for mm -hmm. a Monster of the Week campaign, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse system. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well... That's awesome. Could you give us a, a brief overview of how you got started as a DM or a GM and mm -hmm. uh, and any current projects that you're working on related to that? Related to GMing? Yeah. Okay. Or anything else you'd like to share. I mean. Um, so how, how I got started, I feel like it's how a lot of GMs get started. It was at by necessity. Um, I was playing with my high school group. Uh, for a good long while um and we all just graduated but we we didn't want to stop playing D, D. um but we also we were going to different colleges all across our, our home state um and our our current gm he was going into to law school here he was gonna start working towards law school so he didn't have the time to keep gming so it looked like the group was about to to fall apart um so i organized it that um one weekend of every month we would all come back home we would all meet up and i would run a game in 3.5 edition so that's when i started um that game was a uh that game was kind of a train wreck thinking back on it but it was a lot of fun um i was way too big for my britches and i tried to do uh way too much um i tried to have this like big epic sprawling narrative um on my first time gming and that was a th that was a nightmare but a very fun nightmare I actually think that a lot of GMs and DMs kind of fall into that 
that mm-hmm. same trap where I've got this awesome story to tell. Oh no, I took on too much. Yep. And uh, nowadays I am GMing for uh, Experience and Gold uh, currently, as well as um, a, as well as with another group. But now nowadays we're mostly playing online, and that was even happening before uh, current goddamn events. Yeah, uh, yeah, the the situation. Oh yep. my god. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, situations and challenging instances, what has been your biggest challenge that you've run into mm-hmm. in your time as a DM or a GM? Uh, my biggest challenge has been wrangling different types of players. Um, okay. My, I have like three main groups that I play in GM D&D with. Uh, and one of those groups is like, there, there's one group that's very, uh, combat focused. They just want to, uh, go through dungeons, hack and slash, have that be that. There's one group that's very role play focused and predominantly interested in, you know, like telling the story and developing their characters. And then we have one group that's kind of a mix of both of them. Um, and that group was, is, was actually my old high school group. Uh, they were significantly harder to run for because of that um because you had players checking out during the the combat sections or then players checking out during the role play sections and trying to to wrangle all of them and keep them all invested that's that was that was fun mm. it can always be difficult to to kind of engage everybody at a single time mm-hmm. yeah that's very interesting uh and I've run into similar issues, and I think that that's something that a lot of GMs have run into. So hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Oh, yeah. But before we get into too detailed of a question, of, of like, discussion questions, mm-hmm. uh, first, uh, I'd like to ask, what are some of your favorite integrations of inspirational material, such as literary or pop culture references, mm-hmm. that you've done or seen done in a tabletop role-playing game? Um, so this is going to kind of be like tooting our own friend's horn. Um, <laughs> I think I know where you're going to go with this. Yeah, so I've, I've got two examples. One of them is our, our friend Nick, who is also on uh, Experience in Gold. He was the GM for the, uh, the first season of Experience in Gold, and he uh, scored the entire campaign... Um, as you would like a movie where each scene, each location had its own theme song characters had their own themes and worked those, those songs and that music into the narrative um, in a way that the, the campaign that was a prequel to the one we recorded for the podcast uh, is to this day, still one of my favorite D and D memories because of that. Um, and along a similar vein, my other college group that I play with um the GM for that, when I, I I told her about what Nick had done, and she did something similar for a campaign we did where she gave everybody, she had every character choose three songs. Um, they could be anything that were our characters' fight songs. So during wow. fights, she would put the playlist on shuffle, and whenever our songs came up, those were our moments to shine. So if it wasn't our turn in the initiative order, if our song started playing, it would become our turn. 
Um, and we would get like a moment to shine. We would get a, a buff to our roles and stuff like that. And it was awesome. And then we realized the bosses also had songs. So we had to like, it forced us as players to like plan around, okay, how long is this song? How much time do we have before it could be the boss's immediate turn again? How are we going to plan around that? It was so cool. And that sounds like a very interesting uh, mechanic mm -hmm. to add into just about any game, really. Mm -hmm. uh, add some sort of time crunch and management to the combat itself. I feel like that's a great way to engage some of those players that may check out during combat, feel like there's no narrative aspect there. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, one of my, my biggest... Um, a lot of people rag on 4th on Edition D&D. I still really like 4th Edition D&D. Um, because of how the combat feels like a puzzle. And I know a lot of people don't like how you have to have the miniatures, you have to have the board, and it's like it feels like a puzzle. A lot of people don't like that. I enjoy that. As somebody who tends to prefer the role play to the, the combat, having it have such a stark difference to the rest of the game and how it is played was very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, I am definitely guilty of ragging a little bit on uh fourth edition but it also does have its charms and mm -hmm. i can see where that could be appealing oh, uh, I'm, de I'm definitely not saying it doesn't deserve it in areas it is not a perfect system by any I, means i mean my my biggest issue with it was that it just felt like they were attempting to make it into an mmo yeah which okay i can get how that can appeal to certain uh groups of people mm -hmm. and how that can help to bring in more people playing the game doesn't mean i have to like it i definitely agree with you there uh so well we, we've talked a bit about uh 3.5 fourth edition fifth mm -hmm. edition mm -hmm. and those are just some of the choices that you can make when it comes to D D. oh yeah and i think that that actually can lead us into our first discussion question from the audience mm -hmm. uh so this question is I'm overwhelmed by my choices in Dungeons and Dragons. How do I make a character and how do I pick from all of this? Yeah, that that is a big question. Um, that's one I struggle with a lot with making characters to play and making NPCs. How do I stat them up? Um, and I think my personal biggest bit of advice for that is to start without even opening the rule book um mm -hmm. figure out who your character is first write out a backstory for them or at least what their goal is um for example say you want an npc who is a uh knife juggling circus performer by day that moonlights as an assassin um okay well what does that look like how can i make that work mechanically you might think okay let me look at rogue see how that works okay yeah rogue that could work i wonder if there's anything that specifically supports thrown weapons oh college of of swords bard that mm -hmm. fits that could work and hey they the one of their fighting styles supports throwing knives okay it's also there you go. got a lot of performance Ooh, mm -hmm. maybe that's where they got into the circus yeah Exactly. Yeah. So I think when it comes to statting up characters, starting with the character first and then looking to the book to see what you can use to uh, 
mechanically build that character over taking a look at the the sea of archetypes and classes across all rpgs and trying to to build a character around one of those yeah and uh i i think that it's been brought up on this podcast before that there's several ways to go about this uh one of the best is related to uh Picking where you start, you know, as a as a GM or a DM, it can be <clears throat> incredibly useful to s- start with where do they belong in the story? What is their goal? What do I want to use this character for? Mm-hmm. And build off of that. If you're working as a player and you want to make a player character, it can be helpful to start with a name. As simple as a name. Names are so difficult but can say so much about the kind of character you want to play. Oh yeah. And uh the advice that I will now I will now uh share out to everybody from a past guest is have a cup of coffee with your character. Interesting. What so I I don't know if I've heard that episode specifically. What does that mean? So, it's this concept about sitting down and pretending like you are having a cup of coffee with your character. Ask them questions, get to know them see what their answers are i really like that so do i i i uh believe that that was uh zub that shared that i think i i'm also a big fan when it comes to less of the mechanical side but more of the personality side um as a a aspiring budding voice actor i always start personality with the voice of the character um and there's yeah. a whole there's a whole lot of resources you can look into. Um, uh, so there's a video that I watched, uh, how to create 100 distinctly different voices, um, and it goes through how you can pretty easily like focus on different voices and how to do them. And as a GM trying to come up with uh, voices for a whole bunch of different NPCs and um, even monsters. Uh, that can be a huge help to really help your players see the difference between the characters, as well as as a player, um, help you really dive into what your character's personality is by starting with a voice. Yeah. Uh, in a similar vein, um, one thing that I recommend to uh, GMs that are very into voice play and people that would be interested in voice acting is, if possible, audit a Linguistics 101 course specifically around phonetics and phonology uh, because that course will teach you about something called the IPA, which is the International Phonetic Alphabet. Ah, the India Pale Ale. Yes. Uh, And that'll teach you about simple things like how to call this specific sound and how to read it so that you can then, when you see how some accent says some word, you can attempt to reproduce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I recommend that to all aspiring voice actors and all GMs who are very interested in doing voice play with their characters. Uh, and if you can't audit a course because there's none around, just go on uh, Wikipedia or IPA. Uh, I think it's like ipatypeit.org or something like that. All right. Yeah. There's a lot that you can do, and it's 
easy to get overwhelmed, mm -hmm. but just pick a place to start, I think, is where we're getting at. Yep. And also, like, one last thing for, because I think the, the question was initially geared towards mechanics as well, especially yes. for NPCs that you're creating for your game, don't be afraid to, like, homebrew. Um, mm. NPCs don't necessarily have to always adhere to the exact same rules. If you have a paladin that you, if you've got a paladin in your game that you want to have access to something that a paladin doesn't normally have because it fits in flavor or in character or whatever, just take it. You've got that power. It's your world. Do what you want. Yeah. For all anybody else knows, they have some magic wild talent or something mm -hmm. that gives them that power and nobody else can have it. Yeah. And if you're a player, don't listen to anything I just said and ask your GM before you just lift things from other classes. Yes. Always. <laughs> Players are far more limited to the yep. mechanics. <laughs> Significantly so. <laughs> all right. Well, this next question is a little bit of a divergence, uh, okay. but I think it is very important to tackle and can definitely tie into being overwhelmed or uh, otherwise losing track within the game. Uh, one of my players is really, really bored of the game. Mm -hmm. What are some suggestions for ways that I can bring them back in and make them engage a bit more? Even if it is just their character, I'd rather introduce a new character than lose a player to boredom. I like, I'm glad they added that, um, that last part because that is a, a huge thing. And that's what I was going to suggest. If a character seems, if, if a player is seeming bored, you, you really got to talk to them about what is, um, causing them to lose interest. If it is their character and then, yeah. Definitely like talk to them about how they want to write their character out, what they want that exit to look like, and then talk about, okay, well, what do you want to play now? Um, Keith, I'm sure you've had this experience too. There's many times oh, yeah. where I've been playing where I started off with a character and I was all gung-ho that, hell yeah, this is the, the coolest thing ever. And then a couple sessions in, I was like, you know, maybe maybe I want to play something else. <laughs> uh, and And related, one thing that I would build on that with is... Mm -hmm. I have in the past myself and have had players in the past not want to get rid of a character because mm -hmm. they did put in so much time, kind of a sunk cost fallacy, and they feel like they will want to revisit it. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the good things that you can do as a GM is you can provide an out for, well, you've got, let's say you've got two characters, you can select which one is currently on the quest with people if you've got a home base or something mm -hmm. similar. Uh, and if you find yourself not playing this character, maybe they just go off and we can figure out how to write them out then. Yeah. Or maybe, okay, they're temporarily written out. Let's, let's write them out. We can always bring them back in later. Mm -hmm. But if you are really bored of the concept that you made right now and you want to try out being a caster or something... We can work with that. Yeah, I've seen um, I've seen a lot of posts online. I haven't done one, although I really want to, of uh, games that are kind of styled as like you are members of a mercenary guild, and mm -hmm. each adventure is a mission you're sent out on. So that way, players can you know make multiple different characters for the different missions that they can you know swap in and out to form the party as needed. And I think that's very interesting. 
Um, another thing that, but I think like for this question specifically, the big thing is you need to to talk to that player one on one. I wouldn't like have a conversation with them in the middle of the game because that can be an awkward situation for you. That can be an awkward situation for them. That can be an awkward situation for the other players at the table. Um, like message yeah. them on uh your message platform of choice, or you know sit them down, have a conversation with them, see what their issue is with the game that's making them bored, and have a an open conversation with them about what you can do to help them be more invested in the game. Now, a caveat to that is if you are running a political intrigue, uh, heavy world building, you know, you might go a couple sessions without combat game and they say, man, I really want to like just hack and slash and loot. Then maybe at that point you might need to say, well, maybe this game might not be for you then. Because unfortunately, as much as you don't want that to be the answer, sometimes that is going to end up being the optimal solution is, well, maybe this game isn't for you, but we can bring you in on another one. Yeah, I mean, I have had in the past players just say, I thought that this would be something that I would be super into. Mm -hmm. And it just turns out it wasn't. Yeah, I just am not interested in the in the this kind of story right now. And the only real way to handle that is, all right, well, that sucks, but I'll let you know if we do another one in the style that you like. Yeah. That sort of thing is unfortunately common. Yeah. Um, it's not something that you want to shirk away from either. Like mm -hmm. if you're feeling like that as a player and your GM is not noticing and not reaching out to you, reach out to them, let yeah. them know that this just isn't working for you and see where you can go. Mm -hmm. I've also had, the reverse where one player I, when I reached out to them said, I'm just not feeling it. And I'm like, well, all right, before we do anything, let me check in with the other players, see how they're feeling. And all the other players were like, we're also just not really into this political intrigue game right now. And I'm like, all right, well you guys need to talk in character and then we can do a more combat focused approach. See, that I really like. I like the idea of instead of completely like writing a character out, like it would be it's going to be a hell of a lot more work on the GM side, but uh, completely retooling the game is also an option. Oh, they turned from political intrigue. Let's spy on people and turning turncoat against all of these other people into. Let's build up an army and destroy the king's palace. Very good. That is then awesome. That was it. All right. Uh, and the next question is about uh, storytelling a little bit. Okay. Uh, how can you make a big bad a target to aspire to instead of just an annoyingly hard to kill or overpowered or plot armored opponent? Mm-hmm. Plot armor antagonists are one of my pet peeves with uh, with role playing games in general. Um, really, any media where, like, in the first episode, you see the 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 final boss, and you know the it, it can be like a very demoralizing and good role play moment when your party tries to attack the big bad and loses. Um, 
but if you know your big bad is a recurring entity and that keeps happening then it becomes less of a demoralizing okay we need to make ourselves stronger and more of a oh it's the big bad here to kick to to beat us up again um one of the things that i like to do with um with big bad type entities is i don't show them i physically don't have them present in the game until the moment they are ready to make their entrance until the re moment they are ready to enact their plan um uh for example i had a campaign i was running where the antagonist was attempting to uh kill a god of nature because they wanted to become the new god of nature um for the entirety of the campaign, the only enemies that the party was seeing were their underlings. And they would get little clues about who the big bad was um, through, you know, like little correspondences they'd pick up on through the, NP through the enemy NPCs or um, small notes with orders that they had on them, things like that. But I never actually had the big bad make an appearance until it was time for the party to fight them. And that built up this sense of, okay, we know there's someone pulling the strings, we know they have connections, we know they have power, but we don't know who they are until they show up and it's time to fight them. Yeah, that is definitely a great way to go about it, because it's impossible to be overpowered or plot armored if you're mm -hmm. never fought. Yeah. Uh, another way that I've seen it done and that I've done in the past is to build in escape hatches for your uh, big bad mm -hmm. such that it doesn't feel like they're necessarily plot armored, but like you actually got them on the ropes and they had to make a last ditch effort. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the best ways to do this is related to, to how you want the big bad to be perceived. I have done it with a, uh, a puppet master type big bad where they are themselves not very powerful, but they're very manipulative and they control a, a large army, for instance. And their last ditch effort was, oh, dang, they broke through. I'm going to literally just throw large amounts of my army at them so that I can run away. Mm -hmm. And it turned into a moment of the players got to feel super powerful as they just cut large swaths through this enemy army trying to catch the big bad before he made it to his escape. Mm -hmm. I I really like that as well. Um, and it, it, it's I, still possible to catch the big yes. bad, mm -hmm. but it's that's, just an escape hatch that they can activate, basically. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, it's also a very powerful feeling to know that you, that your party could kill your, uh, your big antagonist and then what that game would become. Um, if, you know, the dice do not fall in your favor as DM. And that's always a very interesting thing, too. Oh, um, yeah. Another, another thing that I was thinking of that you could do would be to sort of take a... Uh, I'm going to call it a Legend of Zelda approach, um, just because I, I, that's the best uh, comparison I can make, where, the where you as the GM, you know, at the start of the game, tell you, hey, here is the situation, here's what you're up against, here is what you need as a party to be able to confront this evil. Go find it. I have also subverted that same Legend of Zelda approach mm -hmm. of here's what you need as a party. 
go get it. And that turns into their first encounter with the big bad. You need mm. this. The big bad shows up. His reaction is to destroy it. Interesting. So then the party has to find another way around yeah. uh, to sort of emulate what that MacGuffin would have brought to the table. Yeah. So the, okay. the prophecy talked about the MacGuffin mm-hmm. and then the big bad came in, destroyed the MacGuffin. The prophecy's out the window. Make your own path. What's going to happen? I love that. Yeah. Hold on. I'm definitely not taking notes to use that <laughs> uh, at a later date. And, and one of the things that I really love about that is the big from the Big Bad's perspective, he didn't have to defeat the party to win. Mm-hmm. He had to prevent them from getting an item. And the best way to prevent them from getting that item is to just destroy the item. And then that also lets the uh the antagonists let their guard down a little bit yeah because they feel like they've already won and uh going back to the the army puppet master type approach one of the other things that i've done is in the event of a big bad getting cut down the army doesn't just go away the lieutenants and captains that he had don't just disappear into the woodwork they're still there, and they're still now trying to fight against each other to become the next big bad. I love all of this. Unless your big bad is a lich, and then maybe the necrotic energies holding their undead horde together might dissipate, but... Maybe, but most necromancy is, at least in the worlds that I've done, semi-permanent. That's why there's leftover undead just wandering around in tombs. Oh, yeah. Even worse is I've had a lich where you killed the lich, you destroyed his phylactery. Congratulations, his undead hordes are now mindless. There was, uh, I'm going to bring it back to, to, to Nick's game again. Um, there was a time we destroyed the lich's phylactery and it caused a uh, city to plummet to the ground because the entire city was the lich's phylactery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with big bads. There is. Uh so this uh this last question that we have mm-hmm. today kind of harkens back to uh our second one talking about how to communicate with players and uh help them through and help yourself with any issues that might arise. Mm-hmm. Uh we are missing a player this session. What are some ways that we can work around the character's absence? There's a lot. It depends on... Um, this is a conversation you need to have with the whole party. Uh, and that will kind of dictate the course of action you take. There are some parties who would want it to be... Um, well, if that character's gone let them choose somebody to autopilot their character during combat, but they're not doing anything during roleplay sections. I've seen that done, and that works somewhat effectively, although that can be dangerous because then if a character dies when that character's player is gone, there's a lot of issues that can arise from that. Yeah. I've seen groups, and I've run in groups that have had um, the player and the party just want it to be, you know, like, if the character is there, they're there. If they're not, it's like they... 
um, are just sort of off in the corner, walking into the corner of the wall repeatedly over and over, like they're being played by an NPC with really bad pathing. Um, <laughs> uh, and I've also seen groups that prefer to, if a character is not there for a session, they are completely out of sight, out of mind. They're not mentioned. They're not brought up. They're just like a ghost, basically. They disappear into some pocket dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I have had both uh, two games that are going on right now that I'm a part of. One is we all have kind of decided on in the event that I cannot show up for an ongoing quest or whatever, this is what my character will be doing the entire time. Yeah. That's kind uh, of what I'm a fan of, too. And one of my favorites is we've got a, a religious zealot cleric. Mm-hmm. And so anytime he can't make it, he is constantly just standing behind the party praying. That's good. Um, one thing that uh, I like to do, and that uh, another DM that I play with does as well, is, for example, we're I'm currently playing in a Tomb of Annihilation game. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a party member who is able to cast Levitate, which in that Tomb of Horrors, Tomb of Annihilation-esque setting... Uh, Levitate is a very powerful ability to have access to. That player has been absent for a couple weeks, but we can, but that character is still in the game with us with the party, so we can ask, hey, can we have uh can we have the sorcerer cast Levitate on us so we can get across this chasm? Yes, and then the, the GM will, you know, mark off their their spell slots. Yeah. So the character isn't, you know, active in the roleplay or active in the actual combat but we can still make use of the abilities that we know they have uh, in order to help it feel like they're still a part of the adventure even when the player isn't there. Yeah, I mean, I've also had it be like, uh, if if the player isn't there, the character got insulted and is now sulking. Mm-hmm. They're sulking. They're still there, and if you ask them, can you, can you like, feather fall us? Yeah, fine. And then they go back to sulking. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot of different ways that you can you can kind of get around that. Uh and for the more like role play heavy games, it may be uh such a situation where you if you're missing a player, you may just not be able to play that that session. Mm-hmm. It also depends on the um the length of the absence. Yes. Uh I was in a game once where Due to my work schedule changing, I needed to not be a part of the game for a couple months. Um, so in that absence, rather than like try and figure out a way to shoehorn my character in, I just talked to the DM and I said, hey, can I have my character go off on basically an extended scouting mission, um, try and get as much information as I can on what we're facing, so then when I come back to the the party, I can have, once I, once my work schedule stabilizes again... I can have something to bring back to the table. Yeah. And uh, that's a great way to handle long-term absences is Mm -hmm. you go off on this other thing that we won't actually go into. We won't actually talk about, but you get this coming back and you get this much experience coming back. Mm -hmm. Done. Uh, For one-off absences, I think that it's more or less a... Find a way to either make them feel kind of present or... Maybe skip until next session. Yeah. Uh, again, c- talk with your players. Communicate. 
It all comes down to communication. We've said this so many times on this podcast. It all comes down to communication with your players and with your GM. Talk with each other. Figure something out that works for you. Communication is key. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Connor. It's been a blast. Yeah, thank you again so much for having me. Yeah, anytime. All right. And thank you for listening to this episode of Running the Table with Connor, the current keeper and GM of the podcast Experience in Gold. As always, if you find yourself with questions you want answered about anything tabletop role-playing game related, please send them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me at Running the Table on both Twitter and Facebook. 